welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Molly, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Well, thank you so much for having me. We are talking, I told you this already, we're talking about one of my least favorite things to talk about, not to walk in. I'm learning. God is growing me, but vulnerability is just hard to talk about. Yes. Because then you're going to ask me why I struggle with vulnerability. And that's when I start to really hate it. But first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your book and kind of what you do? Yeah, yes. I am a marriage and family therapist, and I was trained at a seminary. So you do all the same coursework as a secular program, but then you integrate. It's kind of like half an MDiv. So you do Old and New yeah. Testament and hermeneutics. And, and a lot of my, as a result, a lot of my clients identify as Christians. Mm-hmm. And the impetus for the book was really hearing repeatedly from my clients and then China checking in with colleagues. Are you hearing this too? That often people go to their spiritual community when as a first step when they're struggling with something, whether it's a relationship or it's a symptom like anxiety. And I kept hearing that kind of at best, they were not helped. And at worst, they were harmed. They were, you know, further wounded. And you mentioned the Enneagram when we were chatting. Well, I'm an Enneagram one. So being a reformer, (laughs) when I hear something like that, I also have a strong teaching bent. And so as I started contemplating this, uh, I started like drafting a letter to a pastor who usually I enjoy listening to, but kind of got some stuff wrong. And so I like the reformer in me wants to correct that. So I'm like, okay, this is a book. And I talked to a former professor and sort of said, here's what I'm thinking. Is this a book? He said, absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. So So I wrote the book and it really grapples with the question of why as Christians, we talk so much about love, but often fail to be loving. We intend, most people are very well-intentioned, but unfortunately when hurting people seek support, the, what I call strategies (laughs) that we can further wound them. Absolutely. And are you covering it from both a like institutional and intimate way, or is it more just like how the church tends to get it wrong? Well, the, the first part of my book is, you know, it's how the church gets it wrong and through stories, through individual stories of, you know, the kinds, these, what I identify as four primary ways they, the church gets it wrong, um, which is judgment, legalism, advice giving and an over-reliance on cognition or beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then, in, you know, and all of that kind of in, in, in the course that I'm unpacking, all of those are strategies driven by fear of vulnerability. You know, because as humans, we deeply fear <laughs> vulnerability and we all carry it. And so it's very, all of that forms how we operate in the world. And yeah. in the second part of the book, I kind of look at that piece of things, our development and the things that happen to us that are both we carry the result of adversity, the, the, the vulnerable things, the woundings, and then we have to adapt to that. 
to survive. Right. Right. Because I think about it and I think about my experiences and I don't have a ton of experience with like capital C, like building institution of church, getting this wrong, but have a lot of experience with like one-on-one experiences Mm -hmm. going to people in that vulnerability in a time of like need or struggle or like I have messed up and I need help, like figuring out how to walk that out Mm -hmm. and being met with a lot of the things that you, the four things that you just mentioned, the judgment, the legalism. And so, but at the same time, I know from conversation with friends and, and even guests on the show that there are a lot of people, a lot of people out there who are impacted by it, by like leadership within their church. And so it it comes from both sides. Exactly. And, and again, you know, my, my thesis is yes, of course, there are some people out there that you know, maybe on the tail end of the bell curve that maybe have some intention to, to harm, but the right. vast majority of people mean well, and it's really ignorance. Yeah. And, you know, and we all do these things, you know, it's, these are all strategies that, that we all slip into at different times. And so once we understand, oh, this is just driven by my own fear of vulnerability, you know, yes. then, then it begins to pivot to, kind of understanding, if we understand that we're all vulnerable, vulnerability tends to isolate us. You know, it tends yeah. because it's associated with shame and in shame, we, you know, we turtle, you know, we turn right. away. And when we understand that it's the human condition, especially one of the chapters I look at, you know, Jesus' whole life redeems vulnerability. His Amen. whole life, from conception to the cross was vulnerable. Yes. <laughs> So when we can see that and and begin to see, oh, wait a minute, you know, this is so important for our spiritual transformation that we, that we understand that vulnerability is, is key in life Mm -hmm. to connection, you know, and then in the book, you know, I, I begin to unpack, okay, how do we do this? You know? Right. So what are some examples? I mean, I'm sure there's, I know that the first half of the book is made up of stories and examples, but just so people can kind of understand what we're talking about, what's, what are some of the examples of people who have experienced these things? Yeah. So one of the, one of the examples, cause I think this is one of the most prevalent is advice giving where, and you know, people jump in, they, somebody's struggling and their first response is, okay, here's what you need to do. And one of the examples in my book is of a pastor who's dealing with a woman who is harming, who's engaging in Mm self-harm. And he laments, it's a story that I read, he's lamenting the fact that she doesn't just trust God's vision for her life. And I got so riled up because my specialty, I should have added at the beginning, is working with people who've experienced uh, trauma and other kinds of adversity. Mm -hmm. And so someone who's engaging in self-harm most likely has that kind of experience in her history. And and so trust is foundationally a problem when right. your first experiences in, in life say that this, this world and the people in it who are supposed to take care of me are not trustworthy. Yeah. I am not safe. Right. And to tell someone like that to just trust further isolates someone who already the shame narrative is already I'm different. Mm-hmm. Nobody else struggles with this. What's wrong with me? Because we 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 internalize all of these things that happen to us and we right. become something that's defective about me. Right. And then lay that from a spiritual leader. Right. You know, lay that on. I mean, it's, it's just so damaging. Um, and it feels a little 
like, and maybe I'm thinking like looking into it too much, but I, I think of that situation and it feels almost selfish on the pastor's part. This isn't about that. This isn't about that. She won't do what you want her to do. (laughs) (laughs) But what are you accomplishing with that? Right. And that's provoked by, so we'll just stick with this person. That's provoked by that person's own fears. Exactly. Right. So all of our, these are what I call in, in the book, I'm teaching people kind of a new way of understanding ourselves. And these are all protective strategies. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, there's vulnerability. Vulnerability is tender. It's, it's risky. It, it's a place of wounding. And what do we do when we have a wound on our body? We cover it with something so that, that soothes it, you know, right. band it, a cask, a cast, you know. And so we have all these protective strategies that we employ to keep us from connecting with our own vulnerability. Exactly. So here, you know, here's this, you know, spiritual leader who's got all this wisdom. And if they just listen to me, everything will be okay. Right. So not listening, you know, they don't get it. Um, you know, but all of that is because of, of whatever vulnerability that individual carries around. Exactly. Exactly. Why do you think we are so incapable of dealing with our own vulnerability or lack thereof, and like, therefore kind of projected on other people who need help? Yeah. Well, it really, a lot for, I think it really goes back to how we develop as humans. Yeah. We come into this world and this is the second part of my book where I get into this stuff called interpersonal neurobiology. And, you know, I, I get into the, you know, just the basics of things like our at- early attachment experiences with our primary caregivers. They are, mm-hmm. our brains as humans are not formed <laughs> when we're born. No. They form in relationship. And so the nature of those relationships um, is the template for future relationships. And mm-hmm. nobody has a perfect parent, despite no how well-meaning every parent might be. Um, And of course, some people have parents that are very harmful and abusive. And so we all are on this continuum. All of us experience some degree of rupture in the attunement with our early caregivers. And this, you know, our brain is wiring when when we're infants. And these things get wired into our brain in what we call mental models. And they become these instinctive subconscious um, ways that inform our, our, for our future, you know, interactions. And so all that's going on. And because we have this innate understanding as humans, that we are dependent on these people, no matter how they're treating us, they're the ones keeping us alive. And so we do what it takes to adapt. Mm. So we've got both the wounding and then the adaptations to the wounding. Right. And those adaptations to the wounding are our protective strategies. So that might be, let's say, an early wound is, um, you know, an experience of abandonment. And so an adaptation might be somebody who's always pursuing connection and relationships. Yeah. You know, pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. Right. Just as one example. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I tell, I give the example a lot on the show that I actually am one of those people that have really great parents. I have Mm -hmm. wonderful parents who have loved Jesus my whole life. They've been married 36 years. They are the, like, whatever they're they're. I have the kind of childhood that people dream about. Mm -hmm. 
I have still ended up on a therapist's couch because of my parents. And they know that yeah. because they're human, right? Yeah. They're humans raising humans. And so I always joke that like, my kids are going to end up on a couch because of me. Can it be like, <laughs> can it be like one of the smaller reasons? Like, can it be like not the overarching reason? But I, I agree with you that like, it, I love what you said about that. It gives us a template for our future relationships. You know, like our primary caregivers bring their own humanity to <laughs> the situation and then we adapt to that and then we like if you are a parent do the same thing and it just kind of continues and I can look back on my early childhood and I can see why where the threads of what I struggle with come from even though I had a really great childhood and so you look at these you know, the ruptures or the even, you know, the very traumatic experiences. And it, it really, it, like, it's like, it makes sense. Yes, absolutely. For example, in my own life, I also have what we call in the clinical world, it's a, it, it's a really <laughs> lovely term, good enough parents, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I also had those good enough parents, but when I was three and a half and my older sister was five, my mom had twins. And so as the middle child, I was completely lost. Yeah. So a lot of my wounding, they, you know, my parents did the best they could, right. but they didn't have it for me. You know, right. I didn't, right. I needed more than they, than they literally physically could give, you know? Right. So, and that informs who you are today, how you interact with other people, how yeah. you like react to other people's vulnerability you know, it's, it's, this stuff That's is right. so interesting. It's why I love the Enneagram. It's so interesting yes. to me, yes. um, you know, because I'm the oldest. And so I was raised with who's the older sister, who's uh -huh. the step bigger up. sister, uh -huh. who's uh -huh. four years older. So now like you, you don't have to ask me to step up. I live That's right. stepping up. That's it's right. exhausting. <laughs> you exactly. Know? exactly. And so that, you know, that's a strategy when I'm talking about these strategies to survive. So right. this message is sometimes they're overt, sometimes they're covert, but kids figure it out. Yes. And, and you figured out, oh, it's my job to step up. Right. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I used to say to clients, if I was able to do the research with women, I would be pretty sure that hundred percent of the time women <laughs> overfunction in relationships. Absolutely. So we step up and do more. And it's like a seesaw. Soon yeah. as we start doing too much, guess what's happening to the other person? They're doing too little, you know? Yeah. So that's another whole topic. But, yeah. um, but again, just another strategy we adopt. And so back to sort of the whole vulnerability thing, we, you know, we do our thing in life and we, and we show up leading from these strategies mm -hmm. because we're afraid if we don't, then the vulnerability is exposed. Okay. So how does you're kind of giving people the tools to understand how we developed or what messages we were told, how does that help us like accept and function in vulnerability? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the pivot in the third part of my book, sort of like, now what's the way forward? Great. Yeah. Okay. We've understand this stuff. Yeah, like I see it. Like, what right. do I do with this? Exactly. Exactly. And so that's where the model of psychotherapy that I use in my practice comes into play. And it's a model, it's called internal family systems. And as the name kind of implies, 
it brings a different lens of understanding to ourselves. And so, you know, you like the Enneagram as one of the personality typologies. Most of us like some personality typology. Right. And that is kind of a clue when we do those, it, it tells us about different facets of ourselves. Well, this model sort of takes it one step further and understands that we are multiple, that we aren't a unitary whole, you know, so, and, and most people will even say, well, when they're making a big decision, especially a part of me wants to quit my job, but a part of me is really afraid of becoming an entrepreneur because then I have to market my services, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and so we talk about parts of ourselves and the, the developer of this model, um, was just not satisfied with the, what he'd been trained to do. His outcomes weren't what he wanted to do. And he was very curious. And so he was just really listening to clients. And they started, they were talking like that and I'm like, okay. And then he got curious and started talking to the parts of the person, you know, yeah. and bottom line is, and this is, this is to me, very congruent with Christian spirituality. First of all, our God is multiple, right? Mm -hmm. Triune God. Yeah. Yep. One God, three persons. Right. We're created in God's image. So it makes sense that we're multiple. Yeah. You look in, you know, Romans seven, Paul says, you know, what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate I what I was not thinking of when you were starting to explain this. It's yeah. Past, it's like, hmm, interesting. And we yeah. all have that experience when we start paying attention to it. And essentially the, the lens this brings to our system is because we're created in God's image, we have you know, whether you want to use the term soul, you call it the leader of the system, whatever term people resonate with. But that is the core of us that cannot be obliterated no matter what we experience in life. One mm -hmm. of the things this model brings that's different than some other theories of psychotherapy is that these adverse things that happen don't mean we don't have the resources we need to heal. Mm -hmm. This model believes we have those resources. And that, again, is congruent with our faith because, yeah. again, creating God's image, nothing can obliterate. Now, what happens is the resources get constrained. They get constrained by the burdens of the wounding. You know, so those burdens are things like distorted beliefs about ourselves. I'm stupid. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm, you know, it's my fault. I mean, right. the intensely painful emotions of shame, grief, terror, abandonment the sensations we hold in our bodies, the images we, we see when we're triggered back to an event, all of those things are our, our burdens. Mm -hmm. Those burdens are a threat to the family, if you will. Yeah. And so the system is, you know, we're, we're wired to survive. So the system says, hmm, if it's a threat, we're going to exile it. So it's like sending parts of us to the basement of the family home and locking them in there. I feel like vulnerability gets locked in the family home a lot. Exactly. All these things. That's exactly yeah. what gets exiled in our system. Whatever that vulnerability is, it's this constellation of beliefs, emotions, sensations, images gets locked away. And, and these protectors take over. So that's the other kind of the other team members of the inner family are these different parts of us who take on jobs, you know, because God created us as multiple, you know, the idea is that we would just have all these wonderful qualities that mm -hmm. make us who we uniquely are, talents and skills and all these beautiful things. But what happens is life happens. And so some parts of us get wounded and they hold this vulnerability. So other parts of us say, oh my gosh, I have to jump in and like protect. overcompensate. Right. So perfectionism, 
you know, there are, there are different kind of protective strategies. A lot of, there's kind of one group controls things. Like I'm going to do everything I can to control how people perceive me. Yeah. Because then I can't get wounded. So I'm going to be perfectionistic and I'm going to be um, the best daughter ever. I'm going to do mm -hmm. everything, you know, the right way and all that stuff. Okay. So you know how I'm a huge fan of counseling, right? Well, I recently started working with a counselor at Faithful Counseling, and I knew I had to tell you about it. Faithful Counseling is an online Christian counseling network, and it's an incredible solution for people looking to find the help they need. I found the sign-up process to be really straightforward. You answer some questions, and you get matched with a counselor all within 24 hours. After that, you can log into your account at any time and message your counselor, plus scheduling weekly video or phone sessions. The extra bonus is that I found it to be really affordable and they've extended a discount of 10% off of your first month. All you have to do is head to getfaithful.com slash crappy Christian to join the other 500,000 people, myself included, who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Head to getfaithful.com slash crappy Christian for 10% off your first month and to get started. Real quick, wanted to tell you about Charlotte's Web CBD. Charlotte's Web is the world's most trusted hemp extract, and I have been using it for about four to five months now just to help me stay calm, to help me focus. It promotes the lowering of inflammation in your body, which I have been working on recently, as well as just helps manage normal everyday stresses. I've had a lot of health changes in the last year, a lot of things that I'm getting off of and going on to, and bringing CBD into my supplement lineup has been such a huge benefit. I take it in the morning to kind of help me focus throughout the day and manage stress. And then I also take their gummies in the evening to help me fall asleep. And I use their CBD roller at night to do the same. We're just like all in. I love all of Charlotte's Web's products. You can get 15% off of your order of any of their products using the code Blake15, so Blake15, and you can check out charlottesweb.com. My personal favorites are the sleep gummies and the tincture, but they also have a quiz on their website that will help you figure out what products are best for you. So check out charlottesweb.com and use the code Blake15 for 15% off of your order. Okay, let's get back to the show. The other group of protectors are more reactive. They're more like, oh, wait a minute, that stuff from the basement just started, just started leaking out and they rush in to bring, to tamp it down. And yeah. so they distract us and on, you know, you know, it's the Netflix binge or, or eating a lot of ice cream on one yeah. end of the continuum and it's substance abuse addiction to porn, addiction to gambling, and things that are really entrenched distractors on, on the other end of the continuum, but they're all protective strategies. Yeah. And they don't define us. You know, that's not our identity. Exactly. It's a part of us who's trying really hard to keep us alive in the only way that it knows how. This is so exposing. It's mm. like uncomfortable. Like, I mean, because mm. I, you know, obviously I need Anybody that's listening to this is thinking, well, what are my protective strategies? What am I putting in the basement? Because right. no matter how quote unquote healthy you are, 
maybe your stuff is less locked in the basement and less aggressively protective, but I would have to believe it there because we have these parts of ourselves. Right. That's right. This is this model's perspective on the human condition. Mm-hmm. And again, I believe it's really congruent with, mm-hmm. with our spirituality, which says, you know, in this life, we don't arrive. We're in a process of transformation. Right. And so it's always healing. You know, um, there's always healing to happen. And, and we, you know, when something happens in a relationship or in, in you know, if we're carrying around a symptom or something, it's, it's an opportunity to get curious and just notice, you know, oh, well, how am I dealing with this? Is this like, hmm, maybe there's something that needs my attention that needs some healing. So yeah, this isn't about pathology. This is about, this is, you know, what I talk about in the book is a new spiritual practice. It's just yeah. like other spiritual practices. It's all in service of transformation. So other than reading, restoring relationships, which <laughs> I'm now going to do. Okay. So like now we've kind of like unearthed all this stuff for people that are listening. Yeah. How can we help them like leave this episode kind of having some ways to move forward and like figure out what to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, of course, I'd love for them to come to my website and download a free guide. That's just a few steps to begin to learn the spiritual practice. So And, and it's pretty, you know, the, the beginnings of it are pretty simple because it's like any other relationship. So my book is all about, we need to build the relationship with ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to, because that's how we, that's how we really love ourselves and then love others and God. And so we just begin by, you know, it helps to quiet our external environment, of course, like any other spiritual practice, whether it's scripture or worship or whatever you're doing. And then in this, we turn our attention inside, bring our attention inside ourselves and begin to cultivate awareness and just notice. And where this is different from, you know, maybe some of your listeners practice meditation, mindfulness and things like that, Mm -hmm. where this is different is it's kind of takes to the next step. And so if I turn my attention inside, let's say in the morning, I turn my attention inside, I'm looking ahead at my day. And I'm feeling this kind of pressured energy in my system, like Mm -hmm. feeling wound up. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay. What through this lens, that's a part of me Mm. that needs some attention. Yeah. So, and so we, that's good. We come to it with um, curiosity is one of the superpowers that we can like gentleness. I feel like there was a lot of gentleness in that question open, loving, compassionate, you know, now, sometimes when we first notice something that's going on inside us, those, we don't feel gentle. We don't feel compassionate. No. We don't no. feel curious. We feel critical. We feel yeah. like I want this gone. Like right. I, my next, my next um, blog post has to be about the inner critic because everybody talks about it and they talk about like, how can we get rid of it? How can we, you know, like tame it into submission. Like, no, this practice is how can I make friends with it? it right. Well, like because it's it, pointing it us to something. Exactly. And so, right. so if and it's almost like I'm sorry, I feel like I could keep interrupting. You're just like blowing my mind. Like it's like <laughs> if if we made friends with our inner critic, then it wouldn't be so loud. It wouldn't like if we because right. think about when you like when you ignore a kid. They just keep getting louder. 
It, like, I always use it. that analogy. Exactly. Yeah. So a part of us starts yelling at us instead exactly. of yelling back, which another part of our system is going to want to do. Right, right. But we, are, we have this capacity to be the leader of our system. We have these resources like compassion and curiosity and, and the ability to connect that we can bring to bear is to say, okay, gang, I hear you. Yeah. So I have to negotiate a little with the one who hates the critic and say, trust, trust me. Just give me a minute. Give me a minute. Right. Yeah. Just like you would, if you had a room full of noisy people and you're trying to run a meeting Yeah. or a parent with a noisy pack of kids in the house, like I can't talk to everybody at once. Give me a chance. So then you turn, once you've got this sense of, yeah, I really am curious. And I really actually super appreciate this critic because they yeah. mean well, they're trying to tell me something then you befriend them. So this practice yeah. is all about befriending. And just like any other relationship in our life, we just think, oh, why'd you show up this morning? What is it about my day that you're concerned about? Yeah, what do you what need? aware of, right? So maybe, maybe I was about to go into some meeting or something ill-prepared. Mm. Maybe it just wants to make sure I take those few minutes of either settling myself or yeah. doing my homework or whatever needs, you know? And so then it, and as you very astutely recognize, when we do that, they calm down. Mm -hmm. I almost a hundred percent of the time when the leader of the system spends time with a part of the system, they calm down. Mm -hmm. They really just want attention. Right. You know? Right. And I do love that you're an Enneagram one teaching to befriend your inner critic. I mean, if that's yeah. not help, <laughs> I don't know what is. It's like yeah. an Enneagram eight teaching people about vulnerability. Like it's it just Yeah, we'll team up, like <laughs> exactly. Like we but it's I'm married to a one, right? Mm. And I he does have a very loud inner critic. And I've experienced obviously not even having had a conversation with you, kind of unintentionally asking, okay, well, what is because I mean, is your inner critic right mm -hmm. a little bit? Like, like you were saying, there have been situations where I'm like, are you prepared for this meeting? And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, I mean, I do think that there are times where if we ignore it too much, it starts to beat us up and that's, that's really unhealthy. Yeah. But I, this is just, I think it's probably blowing everybody else's mind while they're listening, while it is mine, that because if we're, if we are God's kids, then we already have everything we need to quiet our inner critic. That's right. That's right. We have all the love mm -hmm. and appreciation, gratitude, and the more, so the, the point of befriending is that then these parts of our system that, that took on these jobs often when we were really young, yeah, they don't really know the leader of the system. They've got these little blinders on, they just do their thing. Mm -hmm. But as we patiently, persistently befriend them, they start trusting, yeah. oh, you know, and then over time, the transformation happens. And of course, it does, you know, ultimately for that, for these really fierce protectors in our system, the fiercer the protector, the more pain is held. And yeah. so we do the deeper work of healing to, to really free them all up. You know, mm -hmm. that's ultimately it's the freedom. And I love Jesus proclamation in Luke 4, 18 and 19 of his ministry, you know, yeah. and he's here to free the oppressed and, you know, and, and the freedom that, that is part of healing happens as we build these relationships and as burdens are released and as protectors are like, oh, 
you mean I don't have to keep doing this awful thing of yelling at you I all would, the time? Yeah, I would rather just like be the gentle reminder, like you're yeah. a virtual assistant, and I'm gonna yeah. remind you that you have a meeting. You yeah. might want to be here for. And it truly, and that is the like that's the journey. In fact, yeah. I'm this year's my uh, work on the proposal for the second book year, and yeah. and that's that's what it's going to be about. It's like this journey from exile to shalom. Right. Oh. Um, I love that. I love that. I think probably people who are listening, I think there are probably people who have been doing this work. You just put better like descriptor or the system does like to what they've been doing, you know, cause I mean, I've been in counseling for over 10 years now because it kind of is, I think a continual journey and there has been a lot of conversations. Maybe we didn't use the words inner critic or protective systems, but talking about those things, but I think it's always really helpful when you have like words yeah to describe these things it does it takes our inner territory can be feel very abstract and very right. chaotic and confusing um because it'd be lovely if one part of us showed up at a time but that's not usually what it's like no right and so a lot of this language gives a framework we can kind of externalize what's going on inside gives a framework and and that does that does help the process a lot yeah this is this is incredible work. I'm really thankful oh. that oh, you're thanks. doing it. What, um, to close us out, can you tell people where they can like follow you, keep up with you, get your books, kind of follow yeah. along as you like continue this journey? Yes. Yes. Well, my, uh, my website is just mollylacroix.com and LaCroix. I always joke because now that the sparkling water is out there and so popular, it's like, oh, now people can say my can name. Spell your name. Yeah. Spell, spell it. Say it. it. They yeah. can say it. So it's L-A-C-R-O-I-X, Molly LaCroix. And I'm on Instagram at Molly LaCroix L-M-F-T, uh, which is licensed marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, and I, yeah. I have a professional Facebook page, but mostly like Instagram and my website and everything they can find through that. So Perfect. Molly, thank you so much. This was such an incredible conversation. I hope that people follow up and get Restoring Relationship and everything's going to be linked in the show description. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Likewise, Blake. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your interest. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.